um, the counseling ministry in the local church. And uh, we've kind of started this off uh, with um, our counseling distinctives, um, which actually I think I covered a lot of this yesterday morning. Um, but the reason why it's included here again uh, is that uh, one of the difficulties that I have found is trying to address uh, roadblocks in people's thinking in regards to the type of counseling ministry that we are a part of. And our uh, desire is to work along with the local church and to try to get as much ministry that we are doing within the context of a local church. And that's a pretty daunting task. Um, yesterday we were talking a little bit about nephetic counseling. And in central Indiana, that's a very popular form of counseling. Uh, and along with that, um, has come, you know, some questions that I've had to address when it comes to relating what we do to the local churches. And, and so a lot of the questions that we have in regards to what we're about have a lot to do with some of the distinctives that we have that are sometimes different than your typical Christian counseling or biblical counseling. It's out there. Um, some of the roadblocks, uh, that a lot of the local churches have had is basically, you know, uh, this whole concept of spiritual warfare, um, and uh, and and we're looking at a balanced um, worldview uh, on spiritual warfare. Um, so we have a biblical worldview versus a scientific or rational worldview. We bring in. We seek to bring clients in touch with the Lord, who is the wonderful counselor. We include the possibility of Satan's deceptions impacting our clients' lives. So that can be a real roadblock for those of you that are wanting to do some counseling within your local church or be a part of a local church. Yes. Uh, N-O-U, if I'm, I think this is correct, N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C. N-O-U-T-H-E-D-I-C. Okay. Um, they, they're definitely biblical. Um, very strong in, in the Bible and using the Bible to address problems. The, the difference is, and I get this question asked quite a bit back home, um, the difference is, is that they, first of all, they don't include a spiritual warfare worldview. So, because, and, and that's why a lot of churches, um, this, it's really easy for that type of counseling teaching to get into local churches because most churches, you know, are either, they take one position, they go to one extreme or the other. They either, you know, we don't even want to include Satan as part of the problem or anyone's problem, or they go to the other extreme and there's a demon behind every bush and, you know, type mentality and everything's demonic. And, uh, and so one, one of the things that the nuthetic counseling, uh, they don't look at, a lot of it comes from some pretty, uh, uh, I'd say a lot of reform teaching. 
I'm not sure, I don't want to get into any theological debates today, but a lot of the Reformed teaching, um, you know, they, they're, it can be pretty extreme. Uh, some, some people that are Reformed believe that Satan is actually bound up right now. Um, and that the only problem we have as Christians is uh, the flesh. Yeah. I mean, there's some, people, some Reformed teaching goes to that extreme when it comes to Satan. Um, I wouldn't say that's the majority, but there are some that have gone to that extreme in the Reformed circles. Um, and that's a lot of people kind of, their intergenetic counseling um, kind of gravitate towards that mindset. And then the second issue that is a lot different than what we would look at is that they tend to not look um, and, and consider a person's childhood or issues prior to Christ and how that could impact their ability to live out the Christian life in the present. And they would kind of look at... Um, uh, like uh, your problems, whatever you went through, you know, has been washed in the blood, and it no longer impacts your life now that you're a new creation in Christ. That's kind of what, how they kind of look at it. Um, another thing, I was just thinking of it a minute ago. Another thing um, would be is that they tend to really be hard on any type of psychological understanding or perception of things. Like, um, for instance, if you were to struggle with depression, um, you know, they would say if you struggle with depression, it must be because sin is in your life. Okay, in fact, I just had a client that went to the Nuthetic Counseling Center in, in Lafayette there and called me up and said, you know, that um, they told me that my depression is because of sin. I said, well, it could be. <laughs> I says, but it may not be. So as I got to talk to him a little bit there on the phone, um, you know, I, I said, well, won't you come in? I really don't think it's sin. Um, and so he came in and we met for counseling, and basically he was grieving. Uh, really, he was grieving his sin <laughs> and grieving the impact of his sin, and he was just kind of stuck in the grief cycle and just feeling really discouraged about some of the choices he'd made in life. And he was depressed about it, okay? Um, and so they would kind of, you know, be kind of down on, you know, kind of looking at things as, they typically would look at things as all being either, if you have a problem, it's because of sin, typically. The flesh, yeah. So I know you've had some training in that. That's about right. Pretty much those would be the three main kind of distinctives, wouldn't you say? Yeah. What was the other one? This is kind of new to me. Why don't you go ahead, sir? Yeah, I haven't never heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Kind of interesting. No, 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 no generational sin. <laughs> that you'd be kicked out of church for that one. Um,
I had a I had a client uh, that had both types of counseling. She had nutetic, a lot of nutetic counseling, and came and spent about a week of counseling with me. And um, she had uh, a, a really good explanation for it. I thought real simple, basically, is that nutetic counseling takes the truth of God's word and tries to put it over the lies, whereas ICBC wants to understand and expose the lies and then replace it with the truth. I thought that was really good. So uh, does that help you out? And it's really popular. I mean, Wayne Mack is one of the proponents of it. Um, you know, John McCarthy, I have a MacArthur Study Bible. It's my favorite study Bible. He's a big proponent of it. Um, Jay Adams is the founder of it. No, no, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother different branch of Christian counseling right there. They would be more geared towards psychological, I would say. There's different camps out there, you know, there's the Larry Crabb type people and mindset and teaching and, and you know, there's little differences between these groups, so. He was going west, and he realized he needed to go east. <laughs> All right, let's get going, you guys. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> so a lot of people, again, they struggle with spiritual warfare worldview. Um, they, uh, most people don't see a cause and effect relationship, and even in dealing with the local church, that becomes a roadblock. And so they tend to not see that there's root issues that need to be resolved versus just you know, just kind of change behavior, okay? And that's kind of the two scriptures and call me in the morning type mentality. Um, and uh, and so these are different roadblocks uh, that can be a part of a relationship and working with a church. Uh, reconciliation of relationships uh, versus a victim or adversarial mentality. Um, heart transformation versus just giving information. Um, a person... Uh, must find their identity in Christ's esteem versus self-esteem. A lot of people struggle with the, in, the understanding of impact of wounding on a person's identity and how that impacts them as an adult. Um, and so a, a lot of people get uncomfortable when you start talking about that. Um, I, had, was at, I was teaching at a college group one time and talking about this whole issue, and, and they brought up the passage in Philippians where Paul you know, talks about putting putting things behind and pressing on going forward and that type of thing. And, and uh, you know, and, I, and she said, well, why do you have to go back and deal with all that stuff? I said, well, if you don't, you know, the only time you have to go back and deal with all that stuff in your past is when it's affecting your present. See? And, uh, and I think that that's the important way to look at it. We don't just dig things up, just dig them up. But if it's affecting your present, you know, then it might be a good thing to look and in the past and see what's there. How would you know? Um, basically because uh, your reactions um, to certain types of issues uh, um, will be larger. There's like a, um, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, your reactions are bigger. Uh, there's behaviors that are not out of balance and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, no, unless, I mean, if, I mean, it, yeah, if there's, I have though, I mean, in some sexual abuse situations or physical abuse situations, if the abuser is, uh, wanting to acknowledge the abuse and, you know, work through reconciliation that way, yes, you know, um, and I've seen, I've seen that. Um, but it's very rare. I mean, it's very rare. I think I heard, I read a statistic that, you know, like 5% of uh, perpetrators admit they've abused um, anybody. And it's like 1% or 2% or 3% that will acknowledge they've abused their own birth child. It's even lower than. Shame's greater. So it's very, it's very rare, but I have seen it happen. Yeah. The abusers? Oh, well, somebody, they, yeah, they, they have all sorts of defense mechanisms. Uh, rationalization would be one of them, denial. Um, you know, they just, there's no more, I think the most shameful thing that a person can do is sexually abuse their child, whether it be a father or a mother. Um, I mean, I can't think of anything more shameful. Sin, can you? No. So the shame to that is really big. And, uh, you know, uh, and so to overcome that shame, you know, really takes them turning to Christ and, and seeking forgiveness from Christ to overcome that shame. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, kill them, yeah, yeah, it's true. Isolation, yeah, yep, yeah, they do many times they have to do that, especially if, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. Yes. Right. Right. You have to bring, you have to, yeah, if you're going to do that, if you do that, you better have the time and the resources and the ability to do it, to help, help it, clean up, clean it up. <laughs> well, with, not necessarily the very day, but pretty soon afterward, yeah. Yeah. We're kind of going off here in another subject. Uh, <laughs> you guys have really good questions. Yes, Jim. Uh, well, we, I'm pretty sure it would be, you know, we don't want to bypass our conscious mind. You know, I mean, God works through our mind. And, uh, yeah, yeah. 
It could. I believe it could. Yep. So I believe that God works through our conscious mind to bring change and help, you know, even in recovering memories. Right. Yeah, they're trying to tap into the unconscious mind when they do that. Actually, the, the sad part about it is that it has been helpful for some people um, to tap into the unconscious mind, um, to access childhood memories and things like that. Um, the problem is, is it does open them up to deception and demonic influence. And it, it really kind of, I, I really wonder how much they're really working through at an emotional level when they do that. Mm, yes. Oh, yeah. That's part of the occult and cult involvement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be like one of the oldest, oldest forms of, you know, New Age in practice. Eleanor? Um, well, I think that with theophostic, there's more, well, there's two things. I think you can be, a, you can have conscious memories that you're conscious of. And then I, and the secondly, I think the Lord, the Holy Spirit can bring, can reveal things to people and, or they can have enough sense of presence of the Lord, especially the joy you know, or comfort or love that allows them to allow Memories to come from the unconscious mind to the conscious mind. You know what I'm saying? Whereas hypnotism, you're completely bypassing your conscious mind. But with theophostic or prayer type counseling and ministry, from my perspective, as you're praying, and that person is really sensing Jesus is with them, it kind of, for a person that's dissociative, if they've blocked out memories that are in their unconscious mind, it kind of gives them enough strength, joy strength, to allow themselves to go deeper into that memory. You know what I mean? Yeah, you feel safer to go there, right? And so it's like, but it's, but, so it's coming from your unconscious mind into your conscious mind, but it's almost like a choice. It's like that, that person that's dissociative is beginning to make that choice in a safe place to do that, whereas with the um, hypnotism, you know, it's just we're going to completely bypass your conscious mind and try to go right to the unconscious or subconscious. Yeah. Uh, Theophosti, well, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a hot button issue. Maybe we should have this class just potpourri of counseling issues. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. The theophostics, um, I, you know, it's, uh, Theo stands, let's just let me keep it simple. Theo stands for God, right? Um, Bostic is a word for light, means light, God's light. And there's all sorts of derivatives uh, from that whole uh, teaching or practice of theophostics. Um, you know, uh, but basically it's, it's more like a prayer type ministry and prayer counseling where you are praying and looking to the Lord and allow and, and asking Jesus to bring light um, into a situation. 
and and people have used it to find healing from childhood memories and painful events that they've been through, um, where uh, you know you can begin to um, basically you're you're praying and looking to the Lord to bring light into the situation, you know. Hence the term God's light, you know, theophastic. And uh, some people, I mean, have turned it into a, a method and, and you know got a copyright on a term or you know, all these different things, but it, I think it's been around for a long time. And uh, um, some people do. Yeah, a lot of people that would be into theophastic type prayer. I think you have to be, I think it's something that you have to, um, I use it as a tool, but it, but it's something that you have to be careful with because you can mislead people sometimes, you know, if you're not careful, um, and you have to, uh, um, and that person has to be willing to pray themselves and really begin to look to the Lord. So what I, I encourage the people themselves to do the praying, as opposed to myself. That's kind of how I do it. I may pray some, but I, I really I may pray some, but yeah, you, you can run into some demonic type stuff, no question. Uh, but I don't really want to delve into a lot of that. <laughs> right. 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 That, that's not what theophastics is, right? Yeah. That, well, that's, that's what I'm saying is the caution is that, you know, some people, you know, the way I use theophastic type prayer is for people that actually have memories that are, you know, I mean, that's what we're working through. We're not working through any type of guided imagery or, you know, anything like that, which. Well, I can't, I, well, I, a couple, a couple things, I think. First of all, um, is usually, um, I think that there's a discernment of spirits, gifting that's a part of that. Um, I think that, uh, um, you know, for me, what I'm looking at, does the person's, do their belief system, do the lies and their struggles in that area line up with what they've experienced and the emotional impact of what they experienced? So if, if they're working through something that happened to them, a childhood trauma, those things will all line up. You know what I'm saying? Their false beliefs, the emotions from what happened, and and what did happen. You know what I'm saying? Those things will line up. That's what I'm looking for. You know, and uh, but I don't. But some people will say, you know, they'll say, you know, do you see Jesus? You know, I don't say that at all. You know, we want to pray, and, and I believe that the Lord can speak to people's hearts. Um, but I think you have to have the discernment of the spirits gifting too. You know, I think you need to test the spirits. Um, uh, my guess is that Fred Dickinson will talk about some of that when he comes. Um, but I think that that's the important thing. So I, I do believe, you know, that the Lord wants to bring light to us um, and into some of those painful things. I had a, I had an experience, just a real small type thing um, compared to what a lot of people go through. Um, I had a uh, a day where, uh, and that's a controversial thing too in the church, but um, I had a, a day where 
my wife and I were going to clean out our closets and organize. And, you know, when you have five kids and storage is at a premium. And so we're organizing our closets one day. And I took our master bedroom closet. And my wife was in one of our kids' closets. And all of a sudden, I'm working there. And all of a sudden, this I started feeling sad. I started feeling sad for no apparent reason. Basically, what was happening there is I was having a right hemispheric memory um, a feeling sad, but no left hemispheric explanation. I couldn't figure out why I was feeling sad. I had no logical reason to feel sad. So I kind of, you know, just kind of went about my business. And then about a half hour later, I started feeling sad again. So then I went, I wanted to be with my wife. So I go to my wife's in the closet there and I started talking to her and uh, that sadness went away. And then I went back to work. And then I, about 15, 20 minutes later, I started feeling sad again for no apparent reason. So I went back and and uh, <laughs> to talk to my wife and kind of gave her a hug and felt better. And she's, you know, like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> so I went back to my closet to start work finishing my job, and I started feeling sad again. And uh, I kid you not. And I said, Lord, why am I feeling sad? I'm feeling sad. I have no, why am I feeling sad? And immediately... I'd forgotten completely about this, but immediately I went to a memory of when I was about a five-year-old boy, and my mother, who was a single parent, would take me to my uncle's restaurant nightclub bar in Grosse Point, Michigan, and she would take me there every Friday night. And the memory I went to was me sitting at the end of the bar all by myself. See, I'd completely forgotten about that. And as soon as I went to that memory, I felt that same sadness. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he says, you were not alone. And as soon as the Lord spoke that to my heart, my sadness went away. And I have never felt that sadness ever again. That sadness has never come again. You know? I, well, I never even thought of that. <laughs> I never put it, but that... But, it, well, the memory, though, I mean, it's interesting. I never thought of that. Uh, I was alone in the closet. But <laughs> but I was alone, as he as a little boy, you know. And it was, a, I mean, it was like a every Friday night type thing, you know, back then. I'm sure it was. You know, my mother went quite a bit. Because her, her uncle owned the restaurant and bar, and she'd probably go there. And they had music, you know, Frank Sinatra type music, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she was a single mom. and But I would be, I'd be like the only kid there. And uh, <laughs> so I, I don't think it went on very long, to be honest with you. I can't remember, you know, I can't remember it happening, you know, a whole lot. But I definitely forgot about when I was real little. I remember being there, you know. And isn't that it? I, so that's kind of what I'm talking about is that, you know, I think it's something that, that God wants to help people with. Uh, but we need to be careful. You know, because he can get off and, you know, like we're saying, you know, you see, a, what do you see? You know, you see a, a bus. Well, what's the bus mean? And you can go on and on. And I'm not into that. Have you ever been what? Uh, I am so careful with this stuff. <laughs> um, if soon as I, I have, well, I tell you, I'm real careful. And if I, if I don't sense that there's, like, I bet, if I don't believe that the belief system struggle lines up with the memory and lines up with the emotion, I don't even want to go there. 
You follow what I'm saying? So to me, those because I know how God's designed the brain and the impact of trauma on the brain, and I know that that right hemispheric memories cannot be made up. Uh, there's suggested memory. That's a left hemisphere thing. You can suggest something happened, but um, but when people, but usually people that I'm counseling will have a very strong belief system that will match their emotion, that will match eventually a memory. Yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, there's yeah, there's some people. Yeah, there would be. Personally, you know, I'd be concerned. I had one lady I, I had counseled. She came from California, and uh, she uh, uh, thought that she was an um, uh, SRA, and um, basically she went to a counselor out there who um, she had some um, some characteristics and would talk about some types of things that would associate herself with that background, and the counselor. Um, I don't know what he did, but apparently he was kind of feeding her some things that, you know, probably had happened to her, and she started believing it. And then she kind of went on and believed, and in, in, in the husband and her were supposed to come counsel with me, and she decided not to come. And as I got to talk to the husband, who ended up coming anyway with um, his pastor, just for help for himself, they were describing to me this wife, and they were talking about how proud she was to be an SRA and how proud she was to be DID and um, and how her whole identity was based around that. And, uh, and I thought to myself, that sounds odd. I mean, I can't think of anybody that's truly DID or SRA that really takes pride in it, you know, and that really wants this, <laughs> you know. So that was a red flag to me right away. And... Uh, and so I said, you know, that's that, that concerns me. I said, those people that I know, they they don't they don't want to do that, you know. And uh, and so I ended up uh, uh, talking to the husband. I said, you know, you might want to pray about that. You know, there could be a deception here. And about six months later, um, she ended up having a psychotic break, and uh, she was admitted to the hospital, and they realized she was paranoid schizophrenic. And this whole um, SRA thing was all this um, delusion, psychotic delusion that she'd been living for like about three years and she should have been on medication. Once she went on the medication, all this stuff went away. But the counselor that was counseling her just kind of fed right into that. And uh, it's pretty sad. So when you have people that will criticize, <laughs> I mean, there's cases out there you can point to and say, see, you know, this spiritual warfare stuff is wrong, you know, and but they'll take that one or two examples and try to make it, you know, um, you know, carte blanche for everyone. So. Yeah, why? Well, I, I don't like to tell people. I don't like to encourage people to go to painful places unless they know the Lord's going to be there with them. So that's number. Discipleship is number one. Um, there's a lot of people that will want me to counsel them that are DID or they've been abused, and but they don't they don't have any type of walk with the Lord, really. And and be, and I just know that it's just so important. Um, and I've had some people I say, you know, why don't you go through the Beth Moore Breaking Free study? Won't you find a part of a Bible study? Won't you? 
you know, kind of begin to journal your feelings to God and be and start reading the scriptures, you know, and work on your relationship with the Lord first. And I look at it for a person that's DID would be that they would be strengthening their core, not not their core, but their host parts that are Christian. And let's strengthen those parts first. You know, we're not going to get into any type of, you know, dealing with memories and things like that until, until you know, we're going to know that the Lord's going to, that person's strong enough to have a sense that Jesus is with them. You know, because they're going to have some parts of them that may not know Jesus is with them. You know, but we can we can work through that if there's other parts to do. <laughs> See, but if I get somebody where, you know, they just um, are in victim mentality and and they're don't want to and they have no sense that Jesus is with them in any way, it's very hard for them to deal with those issues. Yeah. And there was an actual memory too that I just I wasn't associating it with my conscious mind. You know. Yeah, my wife and I have both, you know, been helped by that individually. We've seen other people help. But it's not the, you know, end all. You know, you still need to have discipleship. You still need to be in God's word and all that. It's a tool. Right, right. Yeah, that's kind of the victim mentality type person, you know. Um, yeah, forgetting the things of the past, that whole, that, verse, it's both the good and the bad, by the way. You know, we tend to, when we read that, we tend to think of the, the bad stuff, but Paul, I believe, meant both. Um, and uh, and then I think that um, usually people that are, you know, in that mode, uh, they tend to kind of be stuck in the victim mentality. You know, a person that wants to follow and walk after the truth, they do want to leave that past behind. I mean, I counsel people all the time um, that have been abused, and they wish they could get completely past what they've been through and the impact on their life in the present. You know what I'm saying? Those people are not in that victim mentality. They want to go forward. Um, and so I think that's kind of the heart of Paul in that verse, you know, is to kind of go forward in your maturity in Christ, you know, and what he's called you to do. Um, so... Uh, I'm very mindful of that, you know, with people. Um, we're more than overcomers in Christ. Um, greater is he that is in us than he is in the world, you know. And, uh, but there are too many, there are people out there, you know, that, you know, kind of want to get stuck in that victim mentality. And that's usually the people that don't want to go forward. You know, they want to stay there and, you know, uh, wallow in it, so to speak, and, does that make sense to you? That's a victim mentality. Yeah, that's a person that's in the victim mentality. Yeah. They will do that. Yeah. Yeah. Take responsibility. Those people not taking responsibility. Yeah. It can. Are they are they taking responsibility, though, for their choices and actions? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, narc narcissism repels people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, to, what can you do for those people? Um, there's really not a whole lot unless they really want to, uh, uh, you know, let go. You know, and a lot of it's forgiveness. A lot of those people that are stuck in that victim mentality, um, they just, they're, they're, well, a lot of times where they're stuck, it's not only just the pain, but their willingness to, follow after the Lord to deal, find healing for that pain and forgive and go forward. And those are choices they have to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Okay. No, I think that's good. I think what you said is a, that's a good comment. Um, I think it's more than a question. Yes. I see that hand, sister. <laughs> hey, you guys got good questions. Go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Right. Yeah, they could be living out of their an unresolved wound there. You know where they are uh, transference. Transference is a huge issue. So that's kind of what I was talking about a little earlier about. You know, how do you know when you need to go through to the past? And that's when you know a situation on a scale of one to ten is a ten or an eleven when it really should be about a two or a three. And usually, what's happened is that person has some unresolved emotions that they're projecting onto that person or that situation, and it's making it bigger than what it really should be. You know, pastors get the brunt of a lot of that stuff, you know, uh, from unresolved, you know, issues with their parents and authority figures, and then the pastor, you know, gets the brunt of all these unresolved emotions, you know, from parental relationships or, you know, or a spouse, will do, it'll happen in a marriage too, you know. Um, uh, a mother or a wife will take out a lot of unresolved anger that she has towards her dad on her husband, you know. That's called transference. And so it will land a lot of those type of situations where, you know, the situation is bigger than what it really should be. That's usually what it is. Yeah. Oh, you mean dissociative? You mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do they get it? They get it through uh, an intolerable conflict. They have to, the most severe dissociative people are people that have been abused within the home. And the reason why uh, they dissociate is their brain, as a child, reaches to a certain point where they can handle the amount of terror or fear, um, 
or intense emotion, usually it's terror or fear, um, which is terror is fear, you know, uh, uh, magnified. And uh, basically, what happens is there's a part of your, their brain that they have to they have to deny the person that's supposed to love me, care for me, take care of me, and protect me is the person that is the most evil, the person that's scaring me, you know, the person that's making me feel shame. You know, they're 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 hurting them. So the person, so they, so to still live with that person that's supposed to love them, they have to block out what they don't want to. Remember, you follow what I'm saying, and there's and your brain will, as in a child, will do that. And basically, what what parts or dissociative parts do is they solve a problem, you know. And basically, that's the back part of your brain is the problem-solving part of your brain. And so, alter personalities basically serve a function. So, um, so how does it last? Well, you have to resolve whatever's there, whatever caused the split to begin with has to be resolved. And whether that's lies, they're usually a part of that. Um, and there's usually a lot of emotional pain and fear and false, you know, a lot of lies that are part of that. So it's just a real short type of explanation. Because I, I think you guys, let me see, you should have had some of that in course uh, <laughs> two. <laughs> that's all of course, half of course two, yeah. <laughs> You <laughs> dissociated through it, I see. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, one more question, and then we're going to finish this stuff. Because I'm going to get in trouble, because this whole DVD is not going to be what we're supposed to be talking about. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Um, I think you have to pray. I think that's one thing. Uh, uh, and know who's to really bear the burden. Ultimately, it's the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I have a certain um, responsibility. But again, I'm just a vessel of the Lord. So I don't take on, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic, I'm understanding um, as a counselor, but ultimately the dependency has to be on the Lord, for really both the client and the counselor. So that helps. And uh, so keeping that in perspective is important. Um, but yeah, I have, I've got to kind of pace myself. Um, I've done a better job of that recently, but I have. You have to kind of. Everyone can kind of handle a certain amount. Um, some people are different in their capacity to deal with, you know, people unloading on them all the time and that type of thing. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to where I see enough um, good things happen in people's lives get changed that I can really get a lot of encouragement. You know, um, so I'm really. I, that's really a, a joy builder you know, in my life as a counselor. So I think, you know, if you're always, you know, if you're getting people that are always draining you, you know, and, and you're always, if you're the one that's doing all the work, 
then you're going to get really tired and burned out. So you don't want to help a whole lot of people if you're doing all the work. You know, if I begin to sense that, hey, you know, I'm the one doing all the work. They're not doing any work here. I'm doing all the work. Then I know that if I keep that going, it's going to burn me out. So I want people that I'm going to help. They're going to do the work. More work than me, actually. See? So that's important. Um, but, yeah, you need to balance out, you know, and have times where you unwind and relax and things like that. So yeah, I have four weeks vacation a year, and I take it, you know. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, some people in my life that will help me, uh, you know, get away. And uh, so I'll be in Florida for uh, almost two weeks, the end of December. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I'm going to need it. Yeah, you have to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, there's some missionaries here. I want to ask them. Okay, let's finish this material here. Um, we have to change the title of this class. Uh, Anyway, but it's been good. I, you guys have got some great questions and comments. This has really been enjoyable. Um, and I won't, is there a question and answer time this week? Nope. Well, we just had it. <laughs> um, let me just kind of read to you. Uh, this is kind of our discipleship counseling philosophy at Indiana. Um, and we have a real strong commitment to the church um, in our ministry, the local church. Our call in counseling is to fill the discipleship part of the Great Commission in the counseling process. I'm on page three there. We're committed to serving our clients with biblically-based counseling with the goal for them to become fruitful members of the body of Christ for the glory of God. We believe biblical counseling is a counseling system created by God and revealed in the Word of God to achieve this goal. The strength of the biblical counseling is in the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring God-given counseling principles to our clients. The effectiveness of biblical counseling is in the presence of the Holy Spirit to witness to the truth of his word, to expose the lies of Satan, to convict of sin, and bring repentance, to bring comfort to the healing, to increase faith, and to empower the counselee in their walk with Christ. The mission, and this is our particular mission, kind of our of our counseling center, um, is our call to serve people and assist the church body of Jesus Christ in fulfilling the Great Commission by that counseling. And then secondly, to equip others in the local church with the training needed to fulfill the discipleship counseling ministry within the local church. Um, our counseling and training joins Jesus Christ as we follow his leading in his ministry of healing the broken heart and setting the captives free. And then our ministry outreach is in central Indiana area primarily in neighboring major cities in the Midwest United States. Our vision as a counseling center is to fulfill that discipleship uh, part of the Great Commission. And then we serve the Lord, uh, ICBC Indiana, by providing biblically-based counseling training to help resolve spiritual conflicts in individuals and families that are under spiritual attack. The foundation of our vision development in this ministry is in serving the local church in a growing church-connect initiative. 
uh, it is our desire that each individual family and church, local church we minister become fruitful members of the body of Christ. Um, let me turn you to, let's see. Um, on page four there, we see that there's that local church is important for three reasons. One, um, we want to come alongside the local church to assist them in the ministry to hurting people. Uh, local church is vital to proper follow-up and aftercare. Um, and then offers a place of spiritual protection in most cases. And so we... Um, we want to come along and work side the local church. That's kind of our purpose uh, as far as, you know, we don't want to be separate. We, our counseling ministry doesn't function separate from the local church. I think it's very hard to see long-term fruit actually in this type of counseling ministry without the local church. Um, I've had a lot of people that I've prayed through the steps to freedom over the years. And if they don't get involved with a group of believers, life-giving believers, remember that from yesterday, um, they tend it to be exposed far greater to temptations, and they tend to fall back many times into those old patterns over a period of time. The people that I've helped, counseled, uh, gone through the steps of freedom or whatever we've used to help them, those people that have gotten plugged into their local church um, and have developed relationships with life-giving believers, those people just keep going forward. I've seen, I saw that in Teen Challenge as well. Guys that we would take to the program, you know, the guys that would get plugged in the local church and get involved and have a sense of community, um, you know, those those people would just keep going. And the ones that didn't, they would begin to drift off and isolate themselves. Um, you know, they would be far more exposed to temptations and things like that and kind of fall right back. Um, we have a great need, all of us do, for community in our life. Regardless of how isolated we want to live. And that's why, you know, I really feel it's important, you know, to include the local church in the counseling, you know, that's being done. Um, you know, we're, I'm not trying to take the spiritual role in anyone's life, uh, you know, becoming their surrogate pastor or anything like that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, you know, we have to respect, um, respect the local church in that way. It's also been a good place for follow-up, for accountability. Um, you know, I have some counselees where their pastor will come to them, uh, with them for counseling, you know, or a leader in the church. That's really helpful. Um, I'll have, uh, you know, them bring a support person with them from their local church. That's very helpful. Um, so we're not trying to do things kind of out on our own. And we've started a Church Connect initiative uh, several years ago with churches that are um, uh, more connected to our ministry. Uh, sometimes uh, they're financial supporting of our ministry. We kind of function as a home missions ministry. Um, and we give, have given, we give priority counseling to those churches. Um, there's a different, uh, we have different uh, training times. One is a monthly lunch time where we discuss with the church different issues, um, help them become more familiar with our ministry. Um, we've done this now for about four years, and um, uh, we just we pretty much have one new contact every time. 
Um, and it's been a real good thing to get our ministry out there in the community. Um, we do some church training and seminars and consultation. Um, I do a Helping Hurting People seminar. which It's kind of a one-day seminar in some local churches in Indianapolis. Um, and then we also offer prayer partner opportunities as well as part of that initiative where people will come and, and prayer partner with us um, in our ministry. And that's a good exposure as well to what's going on. And I have counselors have come uh, to prayer partner. Some have come for as many as a week, as long as a week, sometimes for a day or a half a day. Um, and that's a good way to be a part of our ministry. So. Um, right now, it's myself, and I have one intern right now. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, Christian. You know, there's a lot of uh, people that are becoming more interested in doing counseling, but not so much in a licensed professional way. And there are ministries like ours that are kind of springing up um, kind of at a grassroots level. Um, you know, and I think it's important to have um, accountability. You know, like for us, we have you know, liability insurance. We have a board of directors. Um, we have policies and procedures. Um, you know, we don't charge for our counseling, but we do receive donations. Um, and so when you're when you're trying to have a counseling ministry, it's very important that you're very upfront about what you do and what you don't do, and you know, that you're, there's accountability there. Um, we still use the term counseling, but I like to add discipleship counseling. You know, I like to turn that, which I think Neil Anderson kind of coined that phrase, and I really like that phrase because it, we, as a as a ministry and our board of our ministry, we don't we don't see we see them as together. We don't see, you know, discipleship as one thing and counseling as another. We see counseling as just a part of the discipleship process that we all go through. And uh, and you know sometimes people have said that it's you know maybe better not to use the term counselor or counseling. Um, you know there's some legality type issues there, but it kind of I think it may even Kind of depends on what you're doing and how you're set up, but it's important to be under authority, that's for sure, and have accountability. Question, doubt? No. Well, I, you know, I have done a little bit of that, but I wouldn't call myself nearly. I'm not very effective at all. Yeah, um, I'm not really. I'm not. Oh, the question is, uh, counsel, do I counsel autistic children?
not very effective. Um, I'm not effective with teenage girls. Um, you know, children, I, you know, I, I'm far more geared towards uh, counseling the parents to help their children. You know, those are kind of, those are not my strengths by any means. Demonic. Yeah, there could, yeah, you know, I think, I think you may have been exposed to enough um, just through some of the studying and things that you've done, almost where you could probably almost have a pretty good sense for yourself. <laughs> where could you go? Yeah, you know, I mean, seriously, I mean, um, you know, when, you know, it, I mean, experience, I think that's probably my strength, you know, is I've had a lot of experience. I mean, I was in Teen Challenge for 12 and a half years and, you know, worked with people that come out of drugs and alcohol and homosexuality and you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. I did that for 12 years, lived with the guys the majority of the time, less, uh, well, not about half the time. I was married the other half, my wife and I, you know, lived on another facility, but and then counseling at ICBC, I just have had a, I mean, wealth of opportunity and experience. And experience, you know, you kind of, you know, that goes a long way. And, you know, as you gain more experience and understanding, you know, with spiritual warfare, you'd be surprised, you know, you'd be able to begin to pick up, you know, some differences. Usually the demonic stuff is really bizarre and strange and, you know, but you might want to talk to them, you know, and. Find out is are they hearing any voices? Is anything telling them what to do? You know, are they talking in the second person? You know, things like that. So many things that you've been learning or been exposed to. Yeah. 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 I take that very serious. <laughs> you take it very serious, first of all. Oh, the question is, how do you go about diagnosing or guarding against false diagnosis? Well, you can take it very serious, um, first of all. Um, I think um, when I was, uh, when I was, let's see, I turned 40. And, uh, yeah, whew, and uh, I had a crisis in my life that year. <laughs> um, now, I had a, I had some physical problems that uh, really were a, a hindrance um, and scared me. And uh, I actually had a full MRI and all this stuff. And then uh, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was having problems with vertigo. And at first they thought I had an aneurysm and, you know, and they did this full MRI and didn't find anything wrong there. And then they sent me to this ear, nose, and throat specialist. And I went there, and they put me through all these tests and examined me. And they said, well, it could be one of 5,000 things. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Um, well, I've still have struggled with vertigo, you know, and that's kind of gone on. And, and uh, But one of the things going through that experience, you know, it's one thing when you go to a doctor and they can tell you what's wrong with you, but it's another thing to go and them not be able to tell. That's a kind of a, that's a, it's not very enjoyable. Um, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, it is not. 
Yeah, it is not a fun thing. And so when I went through that experience, I thought, you know, diagnosing is pretty important. You know, you got to take this thing seriously. And I have run across enough counselees that have been misdiagnosed. Uh, probably the one I see the most is people that are diagnosed schizophrenic, but they really have dissociative identity disorder. I've seen a lot of that. Um, and so I'm very cautious, and I really take my time um, to really try to get a full understanding. You know, I've got a situation right now with a very one of my best friends, his son, um, had the, that nervous breakdown. I think I shared a little bit about it in New York. Um, I think I shared that yesterday. And and I've kind of watched him. I'm kind of, you know, um, as I'm helping the father there, I was just kind of watching him over time to really get our arms around what's what. You know, there's a little OCD there. There probably was some demonic influence there. Um, you know, just to try to figure out what's what. And I think you have to, it, you know, you have to kind of not jump to conclusions, take it serious. That's kind of my, how I do it. Yeah, how do I insist this is where we have to go if they're struggling with denial and so forth? Well, I'll kind of lay it out there. I'm kind of big on the, uh, you know, these are the, it's a cause and effect thing. <laughs> uh, you know, these are the circumstances that you're living with. This is what I see as the possible problem. This is what I see as the solution, you know. And I'll lay it out there, and then I'll say, you know, do you want to go on the ride with me? To work through that. Do you want to work through that? And it's their choice. Um, but I try to lay out a cause and effect relationship in my client's mind. Um, again, I said it yesterday, you know, a couple times, I think most people are not trained or think that way in our culture. All right, one more question. I teach a class on the spiritual, emotional, <laughs> you know, what's physical, what's spiritual, you know, what's emotional. You have to kind of sort through some of that when it comes to discerning. Uh, the question is, how do you know when medication needs, is needed? Um, yeah, over time, you know, if I, if, um, I mean, there is, I mean, I used to be kind of, you know, all, Psychological problems like schizophrenia, which is a biochemical problem, you know, it's all demonic. I used to be in that camp. I am no longer in that camp. I've counseled it long enough and been around long enough now to realize that there are 
schizophrenia is legitimacy. There's legitimacy to that. And, uh, and medication can help those people. Um, there are some people where their serotonin levels in their brain, which helps regulate their emotions, are just low. And so they have, because of the chemical makeup within their brain, they tend to struggle more with depression. You know, so they need some medication can help them. Um, now it's the majority, it's the minority, it's the majority that are wanting to be, or being told to be on medication, but it's the minority that really need it, in my opinion. You know, and so, you know, what I do is I try to resolve the spiritual issues first in a person, understand what emotional issues are there, you know, and then if, if, if you work through all that and the person's still struggling with here, you know, if it's a schizophrenic or whatever, you know, then you might have to consider that as a real possibility. You know, I don't ever, you know, I always, you know, if I found out a, find out a previous diagnosis, I always take it for face value. You know, I want to find out kind of for myself, you know, over a period of time, you know, what is really there. Because like I said, I've had some people that were diagnosed schizophrenic and they were DID. Yeah. I've had a lot of those situations. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they had a psychotic break. Yeah. Yeah, they probably had a psychotic break. And it's very, I mean, that can hit like between 18 and 22. Yep. That's a very common age range for that to happen. What do I mean by a psychotic break? Basically, there's something that happens in their brain chemistry at that age. Stress can bring it on. And sometimes when they're going through a stressful period of time, uh, of change, um, and sometimes branching off into independence can bring about that stress. Um, it'll cause the chemicals in their brain um, to react to that stress. Well, that stress will cause the chemicals in the brain to react. They can bring that onset of that schizophrenia. It's like it's kind of like really, it's like their brain chemistry is already prone to that. Sometimes it's, a, it's something that's physiological that's passed down physiologically. Yeah, but again, there's degrees, varying degrees of that severity and so forth. But I'm no expert in that. I just, you know, I just have seen. I just have seen it, you know. And I've had parents that have brought kids to me, you know, young adults, you know, that had psychotic breaks, and they feel like it's all demonic. And we would pray through the steps of freedom, try to address any type of emotional issues, but there's still, it's still there. I wouldn't tend to think that, but I, I would wonder. But the one thing about it is sometimes, you know, it, it can be demonic. It's, the demonic can, can um, mimic this stuff, too. 
And um, DID, you know, if a person isn't really up on, a lot of doctors aren't up on DID, and so they can, you know, get it confused. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I would really like to see more doctors aware of, you know, the impact of trauma and post-traumatic stress and things like that because it's pretty prevalent, and they're missing it. They're like fibromyalgia is a real common one. Um, it's kind of benign physical problem that's being diagnosed all the time, and a lot of that is from uh, emotional trauma and abuse. Okay, one last question. Yeah, major differences with the schizophrenic, the voices are, appear like they're coming from outside, where DID is they're internal. There tends to be a relationship internally with those voices, where schizophrenia almost seems like uh, somebody from the outside is talking and there's really no sense of relationship. Um, that's a big, big one. With a, a person that's DID, um, they will think that what they're hearing or what they're feeling, there's something strange about it. This isn't normal, where a person that's schizophrenic will think that you're the one that's odd, <laughs> you know, for not believing it or not hearing it or, you know, so they don't think there's anything strange about the voices or their delusions. Okay. Whereas a person that's DID will. They'll think there's something not quite right here, you know. And that's usually, you know, where I begin to see, you know, when I've seen those misdiagnosed cases, those are usually the pretty obvious things that I see, you know, pretty much right away. All right, well, it's been a pleasure spending this day and a half with you folks. Um, you guys have just had some great questions, very attentive, and and uh, it's been a real blessing. So I want you to know that. Okay? So God bless you.